when I saw the pictures of the devastation, my soul wept. People lost their homes. Over 400 homes got lost. My father lost his home. All of my friends that lived across the street from me, all of their houses were gone. I didn't really know what they were doing. I didn't really understand it all. They had a scare tactic with a crane over one of the neighbor's homes. The, the ball would come in, smash the house. My parents were in the kitchen crying, and they told us that we had to move. There were other routes. They could have chose a better route. There was a, a cohesiveness with the community prior to I-94. There were businesses. Families looked out for one another. We had a lot of kids and family, you know, families that were tight-knit and they all watched each other. That was the strength of the community. If we know who we are and who we came from, it helps us to go forward in our lives. If we know nothing about our history, then how are we to know about our future? Shout out to all of y'all from St. Paul, Minnesota. This is Rondo, Beyond the Pavement, the podcast. I'm Jazz. The stories you will hear on this podcast are from the people who lived or live in the Rondo neighborhood in St. Paul, Minnesota. In the 1920s, Rondo, St. Paul's largest African-American neighborhood, was flourishing with music, theater, African-American newspapers, and businesses that were booming. The community was thriving. Until September of 1956, when construction of Interstate 94 tore through the Rondo community. Rondo homeowners resisted the construction and protests began. Residents were forcefully removed from their homes. Thousands of Rondo residents were displaced. Homes and successful businesses were demolished and the community was torn apart. The construction of 94 shattered the fabric of the Rondo community. It did not shatter Rondo's spirit. To me, the spirit of Rondo lives on through the youth. To me, Rondo is still thriving because you can't kill souls. These are the stories of Rondo. Beyond the pavement. My name is Lorraine. My last name is Gurley, G-U-R-L-E-Y. It's my mother, Mary Lee Lynn, uh, lived on Rondo and Victoria. 94 didn't start getting built until the early 60s. And I can remember as a little girl, walking to St. James AME Church with my sister. Um, and we had to walk. They were just finishing it on Dale Street. And you can look down going west, and you can see all the dirt piles and stuff. So they hadn't all the way finished it out. When I was real small, my mother lived on Rondo. When you walked into the foyer, it was very small, but there's one of those grates that's on the floor because they had what they call the octopus furnaces. 
And if you don't know what those are, it's like the furnaces that had like a gazillion legs. When you go in the basement, it was the biggest thing in the basement. And they had those vents that kind of went up. And I can remember when I was little, I walked across the grate and I fell in. And I fell down into it, not all the way, but my legs were down there. And so they, I don't, back then, you know, you couldn't call 911. You had to call zero for the operator. And then you had to tell the operator what you wanted. And then the operator would send out the appropriate people. So the people had, a, somebody came, I don't know who they were or who my mother actually called, but they got me out of that hole where the grate was at, out of that thing that the furnace goes into. So a little bit after that, we moved. We moved uh, Igo Heart and Chasworth into a big grandeur house to me because it was so huge. Four bedrooms, three levels, really four levels. Um, and when you walked in the house, everybody know when you walk into my mama's house, there's going to be a piano as soon as you walk in on that right-hand side. And then you're going to see an organ on the other side of that piano. Um, nobody really played that much. My sister played. My sister Ethel, she played the piano a lot. And my mom made me play for a little while, which I really didn't like playing the piano that much. But that's what we made to do. That's what you do. Um, and my mom had a favorite chair. It was a wingback chair, and it was gold. And I can remember when she finally got it reupholstered. I was so happy because that, that chair was so old. But um, that was her favorite chair. And I can remember her sitting there watching TV when she didn't have anything to do. But she was such an active lady in the community Mary Lee Lim did everything. She was in the Credifying Club, the Isis. She was a grand matron or patron or whatever they call it. She was um, an Eastern star. She was in the Elks. She was in a lot, some type of society here or there. So I think I learned how to really become a woman from her. She carried herself in such a way. You knew when she was coming through the door, she made her presence known. And those are some of the things that I can really remember about my mom and um, her family, which was my family as well. They were part of the Parks family. My mother was married to Andrew Parks and um, his brother is Gordon Parks. So we were part of that Parks family. So, you know, we knew everybody. I mean, they knew everybody, which made us to know everybody, you know. And so we had to carry ourselves a certain way. There's certain things you just didn't do. Mm -mm, you didn't do it. You're not going to shame your family that way. You just didn't do it. And so I learned so much as a child, as a young child. I knew how to cook, you know, when I was little. My mom, I could cut a chicken, a whole chicken up by the time I was 10. Because, you know, a lot of times I was on punishment. So I was in that kitchen, you know. And so Miss Mary Lee Lynn taught me everything I knew as a, as a young girl to be able to do as a woman. Being part of the Rondo community, everybody knew everybody. We knew all the families, all the families knew us, all the elders knew us. So, you know, just like I think with anybody's parents, if you didn't get home before the streetlights came on, you was in trouble. If you did something and our parents all knew each other, so our mothers can get on the phone or our mothers and dads can get on the phone and say, hey, now you know she did so-and-so-and-so-and-so while she was up here. And by the time you got home, you might have got two or three whoopings and didn't get the real one until you made it home. You know, it was, we were just a really close knit community. It's not like it is too much now. You know, you have a lot of 
families coming here from different places, you know, um, Chicago or wherever they're from, you know, but back then everybody knew everybody. There wasn't a family that you did not know, not one. Um, and we all knew what was expected of us, you know, as kids, you knew what to do. You'd help the lady across the street take her garbage out. You know, when you were out there shoveling snow, you shoveled snow for your elders in the community. We did not forget about our elders. You had respect. And that was a big deal for our parents. You know, um, you weren't out there smoking cigarettes where everybody could see. You're not granted. Some of us did, you know, but you weren't out there showing out at all. You better not. Because you were going to have a whole lot of problems when you made it home. But that was just our way of respecting our elders. And, and you listened to what they told you. And you got taught things. You got taught how to have gardens in your backyard. You know, how to keep your homes clean. And, and, and how to um, walk down the street and carry yourself. You know, that was a big deal. That was a big deal of the culture. when I was a child coming up, especially um, about 11 and 12 years old, my mother was involved in a lot of different organizations. And one of the organizations she was involved in was the Elks. And so there was a drum and bugle corps that I was in and it was the Elks. And um, oh my goodness, I was in that drum and bugle corps all the way up until I was 17 years old. And it, eventually I became the lead majorette for the girls. And we did parades all over the place. And I remember Mr. White, Frank White, he was one of our um, people who helped us. And uh, Miss Jean Bridgeford, um, she was one of the, the people that helped us out. And Darlene Codwell, oh my goodness, there was just so many people that influenced us, you know. And they showed us how to be strong young women and young men and how to grow up in that community and hold your head up proud because we were from St. Paul, you know, and and um, we might not been the best kids sometimes, you know, because we were all kids, but we knew how to come together and do parades and march. I mean, we used to practice all up and down uh, Carroll and I go hard and we'd be marching and keep your head straight, lift them legs up and the drum bugle corps, they would be drumming and playing them bugles and we had our thing together and we did it for years and we all loved it. So we were definitely a community. I can remember Tiger Jack was like the favorite place for me to go. And his store was right there where 94 was at on 94 and Dale, St. Anthony and Dale. And I, like I said, I went to St. James AME Church. So for me, it was just a blast to, to get up that Sunday morning, especially in the summertime, because sometimes we would walk to church. Me and my dad would walk to church. And um, he knew I needed at least a dollar so I can go get some penny candy at the store or he'll get a Sunday paper to bring home and Tiger Jack would be right there on that corner greeting everybody. You walk in there and he have a little wood stove. It was just so cool. You know, he was just like an icon. 
And I think one of the biggest things about Rondo, I remember him. Tiger Jack always had a smile on his face. Always. There was never a time where he wasn't happy to see you coming through that door. You know, and even when he might chastise us or something, you really didn't look at it that way because he had a way to talk to everyone. When I tell you he was one of the sweetest men I ever, ever knew, Tiger Jack was so cool, you know, and um, he loved what he did, you know, and even though it was a little itty bitty old shack, it was his, you know, and he took pride in that because he took care of it. You see him out there sweeping it up. You know, I mean, everything was in its place every time you walked into that little store. And it was just the coolest thing. He had the best candy ever. That would put a smile on anybody's face. Miss Johnson lived across the street. She was an icon. She was one of the oldest people I knew back then. Um, she was a stickler about everything, so you couldn't walk on her grass. You don't you pick none of her flowers. <laughs> she was very vocal. I remember her. She was a big deal. Mr. Gooden had a store on the corner of Eigelhart and Chatsworth, and uh, we would go across the street every day and get something from the store. That store's not there anymore. I'm not quite sure when that store disappeared, but I remember Mr. Gooden's store. He was an icon for me as well. So there were quite a few people. Uh, Miss Kaiser was my principal at J.J. Hill, the old J.J. Hill school. Mm -hmm. And I think Miss Kaiser is still living. And uh, she was the principal for a long time. And her and Mr. Helm and Miss Miller, those were Miss Miller and Mr. Helm were our teachers there. Um, that's the first time I ever saw a portable was at J.J. Hill, where you could go outside and there were classrooms, you know, like in a little house, like a portable. They called them portables back then. We could play outside all day long. We can get on them bikes and be down. You know, we could be in someone's backyard and turn the music on. We'd be trying to do all the new dances. You know, uh, there was a real state ring we would all go to, and we it was a wooden floor. So we would go in there, and uh, we would look like we look now. When we come out, we'd be like a dust bowl. You know, sawdust be from head to toe. You know, but we didn't care. We was having fun, you know. So there was always something. We had Oxford Playground to go to. Um, there was always something going on. Ice skating. We did a lot of stuff. We have been friends since we were like five and six years old. And here we are now in our late 50s. So most of my life I've known these ladies. And they're still my friends. They're still my besties. I didn't really know what they were doing. I didn't really understand it all, you know. We didn't know anything about a highway coming in. But I know for some of the people who've been there longer than me, I'm sure they miss some of those folks that had to move around. That's not there anymore, you know. And there's no telling what kind of memories or businesses that they took away from that area. Because that area had to li literally start all over again. Um, so it is what it is. Progression is going to go on regardless if we like it or not. And, you know, back then, they didn't tell you the business. You, some things you weren't, you didn't need to know because we were kids. So, you know, when grown-ups were talking, you didn't hang out like they do now. You found you something to do. 
and you better find it fast and you better shut your mouth. So that's what we did, <laughs> you know, um, which is actually, I like that, that I, that I didn't know. Um, but I'm sure that they had many, many conversations. My mother was in meetings all the time about something or another. I didn't realize how it broke up the community until I kind of got older, you know, and it didn't really break it up. It just took people's homes away that would otherwise still be there. Um, and I don't know where those people might have moved to, you know, why in that neighborhood? Well, all the neighborhoods that are going around in the St. Paul area, why that particular neighborhood? You know, is it because it was an African-American neighborhood? I don't know if it was racially motivated, you know, because I was too young to know. If I had to ask my question, that question now as an, a grown woman, I would tend to think it could have been motivated that way, you know, because that area was all African-American. Now we have a more of a vocal voice where we can express our opinions and it'll get heard. Back then it didn't. It didn't get heard the way it gets heard now. So for all the young folks out there, I think I would just say, keep putting your voices out there, letting the people know what you like and what you don't like. Become politicians, help make that change, whatever that change needs to be. Because us as elders, we are getting older, you know? So now it's up to you young folks to get out there and do what's, what you feel is the best thing to do. Don't just talk about it, be about it. Cherish where you live. Take care of your community. Remember, that's where you live. If you live in Rondo or if you live anywhere in St. Paul or if you live in Minneapolis or if you live in Timbuktu, if that's your community, be a part of your community. Let the people know who you are. Give back to your, your loved ones and your family and your friends and your neighbors. Give back. You have to leave some type of legacy here. At least let your legacy be loved, if nothing else. I remember when we didn't have to worry, no. The once was a place, and this is how the story goes. In our own little town We had a special street Where we could all get down Rondo Street Rondo Beyond the Pavement is brought to you in partnership with St. Paul Almanac through their Project Storymobile, St. Paul Neighborhood Network, and High School for Recording Arts, funded by the City of St. Paul Cultural Star Program, and by the voters of Minnesota through a Minnesota State Arts Board Operating Support Grant. Thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Music from this episode is performed by the Homeboys with their song Rondo Avenue. Listen to more stories from Rondo and watch the film at rondobeyondthepavement.org.